Welcome to Feature Please, a hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. I'm Peter. And this is our first episode of the new year. We're happy you're going to start 2019 off on the wrong foot by listening to a podcast reviewing a 22, 23-year-old television show. Uh, but we're really glad that you've made that choice. Yeah, this is our first uh, show for 2019, but we're recording this uh, day after Christmas. Joe, I got to ask you, did you get any Star Trek related merchandise for Christmas? I did, actually. I did. <laughs> My wife, who is a absolute legend, found for me the uh, Picard themed bathrobe. No, I, well, wait, what? Yeah, it's 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 uh, patterned after the uh, next gen captain uniform. You know, it's got the pips on it and all oh, that. So I'm somehow disappointed that the John Luke Picard bathrobe is like a uniform and not some sort of like real flimsy terry cloth little nut hugger outfit that he wore on <laughs> Riza. <laughs> Just open chested, flowing. <laughs> that I've 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 seen it. I've seen it all. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, and my grandmother-in-law is making me Star Trek uh, knitting for me, Star Trek slippers. It's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. I was very, I was very excited to get the gift and, and know there's more coming. How about you? I feel like my wife, through this podcast, has unlocked some sort of cheat code for easy gifts because it's just basically anything off ThinkGeek that's on sale. And it's all <laughs> awesome. Shh. The most ridiculous thing, and I think the cool one of the coolest things, it's like this, this door condom. Okay. It, it's a like a fitted bed sheet that slides over the door, right? Okay. And it looks like the Enterprise D hallway, so you can turn any door into like a galaxy class hallway. And I thought it was so fucking cool, and I showed uh, James, and he's like, I said, I I got a Star Trek uh, hallway thing, and he's like. Is a Cardassian hallway, and I suddenly felt <laughs> inadequate. And I was like, "Gosh, <laughs> how awesome would the Cardassian hallway door condom be?" Ah, uh, that that would have been uh, expert level gift gifting. Uh, but that might be that might be a custom job. Something to set your sights on for the future. Mm. Something to set our sights on for today, Peter. Mm. Something I've been looking forward to, uh, and that's talking about this week's episode. Which one is that? This is season three, episode five, False Prophets. And speaking of false prophets, yes. I have a question for you, Joe. Go on. Did you know this was going to be a piece of shit? I did. I did. But it's the most delightful kind of piece of shit. Because last week, last week, I feel like you lied to me and you got excited like this was going to be a good episode. I f you, you are the embodiment of a false prophet here. Hey, hey, no, I was excited because I knew precisely what a fucking turd this was, but it was it's our kind of turd, Peter. Don't lie to me. Don't don't sort of metaphorically look at me because we're actually 200 miles away and tell me that you did not have a smile on your face as you spiraled into the fucking toilet. This episode was it was our kind of shitty. I have been hyped. I, this was my Christmas present to myself watching the shit because I watched it on Christmas Day to get ready. Ah, so good. So good. So we can't just talk about false prophets because this is 
you know, we want to talk about continuity, which is the one of the big shortcomings of Voyager. This is a part two episode, and this is such a a Hail Mary pass of an episode handoff. The part one wasn't even in the season. It wasn't even in the series. This is a sequel to an episode of Next Generation called The Price that was actually in season three of that show, which at this point was like seven, eight years ago. Okay. Uh, that I'm sorry, I'm looking it up now. It was aired in November of 1989 and uh, False Prophets was in 96. 1996. Yeah. So seven years ago, which is actually, I guess it's what they say in the episode. But I let me dial this back a little bit further because I want to I want to talk about something that's important to me and that's Ferengi in general I have I have a love-hate relationship with the Ferengi in Star Trek okay Is the hate portion uh season one next gen <laughs> no no the the part I love I love Quark I love Quark and I love the main DS9 Ferengi characters uh Quark is like the mirror universe version of the bartender from cheers, you know, instead of like listening to your problems and trying to help you, he's listening to your problems so he can manipulate you later and sell you shit. Mm. He's, he's kind of like this low level antagonist for the first few seasons. And then eventually sort of becomes a very reluctant hero at times as the series goes on, he's kind of a shitty dude. And a, it makes his his character arc feel more earned, but B, I like the payoff of him being this arch capitalist in space who's sort of manipulating these naive Federation people who don't believe what he believes. So you like right? the DS9, Ferengi. What do you not like? Every other time they're on the show, including often on DS9 when, like, Wallace Shawn shows up to play Greg Nagus Zek and shit like that, like... It gets so fucking cheesy and ridiculous. Like the idea of Ferengi society and most of the Ferengi side characters are obviously just there to be comic relief. They're, they're not serious antagonists. They're not even like serious characters. And so when you think about Ferengi episodes, quote unquote, they're almost always garbage. I thought you're going to say comedy, but yeah, garbage, I think is the correct term. We've talked about the Ferengi before. We've talked about the negative stereotypes that they essentially embody. I'm going to agree with everything you said. And watching this episode, I was forced to ask myself a very real question. How did, and maybe you can answer this question, it seems like a big one that DS9 might have tackled. How did Ferengi culture survive contact with the replicator? Latinum, which is... Gold press latinum is their currency. Latinum can't be replicated. Mm-hmm. So that's how they have a stable like currency item. But I mean, if you uh, could have anything and- you want from a little box in the wall, then who needs money like land slaves? OK, but then beyond that, like, how do you keep this fierce capitalistic empire going? I think the 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 main business interests you see Frankie involved with are generally speaking uh like land or commodity based which there there's still some level of need for that like you can't replicate dilithium you can't replicate like deuterium there's there's things that cannot be you know exist through the replicator so there's this the stuff they get into is the stuff that isn't dependent on the replicator right yeah 
I don't think they go into any real detail as like really like getting into the nitty gritty of how they survived contact with the replicator technology. But really, though, that belays the point that the idea of Ferengi society is never very well fleshed out. And all the Ferengi shit falls apart when they go in depth about it. Yeah, it's a very shallow shtick, I want to say. And again, we, we've we've praised the Ferengi at length in our previous episodes. I remember a big part of Caretaker 1 was us talk, lamenting that we wouldn't see Quark anymore and how much we like Ferengi, but this Quark's episode... Quark's the exception to the rule. Like, he's the best Ferengi because Armin Shimmerman just played him way differently than everyone else. He wasn't like this comic you know, prophets type of guy. He was more conniving and manipulative. And there was just enough about him that you liked that when he disappointed you and did something that was, that was bad, you felt conflicted about it. Mm. Whereas all these other Ferengi characters, Nog and, and Ram aside as well, that they have some death on DS nine um, are just comic cutouts of, as we said in our very first episode, like bad Jewish stereotypes as a race in space. Yeah. So the episode starts off with uh, Voyager cruising around and they're getting some funny readings that are the remnants of uh, whatever. Afterbirth, a wormhole leaves behind after it deploys. And as they're chilling out, trying to figure out what's up with this wormhole. And that's really the holy grail of Voyager side expeditions, right? Like if you can get some super dilithium, cool. If you can get some other unobtainium that can make the engines go a little faster and not turn you into a fish person, great. But really they've been looking for a wormhole, which is a pretty common thing in the 24th century of uh, Star Trek. Uh, that's going to get them back into the Alpha Quadrant. And they... I wouldn't say common. I wouldn't say common. Like, wor- wormholes are definitely rare. Like, the whole premise of DS9 is that they found the first stable wormhole. Stable, yes. But, I mean, they encounter them in next gen fairly frequently, I think. Yeah. yeah so, that is They're to say... uncommon. They're not rare. They're not common. They're uncommon. Okay. All right. Fine. Well, we'll stake that ground out. I'm okay with that. And again, I, I it's taking a step back, I think that Voyager looks at everything that Next Gen does and really lives in that place to a higher degree. You know, jumping back last episode to uh, or two episodes ago to the doctor openly saying, you know, there could be all sorts of stuff wrong with Tuvok, including, you know, contact with a parallel dimension like the extremes from Next Gen are established canon and these people live in that universe and they acknowledge these things. So, you know, again, wormholes are a thing and that's what Voyage has been looking for. They find the remnants here. And while they're trying to locate what's going on with this thing, exactly, they find an M class planet, which is like human habitable. And they start picking up some funny readings coming off the surface. Cause this thing should be like bronze era, you know, development. So the energy that they get, specifically tells them it's an alpha quadrant replicator which obviously gets their ears up beyond not just that it's a bronze age civilization but that they've somehow had contact with home base right like some of race close to where they are if not the federation right Mm -hmm. 
So they are keen to investigate, and we get Tom and Chakotay going down to the planet to check it out, which, once again, we happen across an alien planet that is filled with humans Literal for no reason. dead ringer humans. Like, Voyager's been real sloppy, I think, in, in hitting the half-ass button on, like, you know, just a little bit of shit on the face to, to make a, an alien. Um... But these guys, there is nothing distinguishing them. Chakotay's more alien than these guys are because of his his little Mike Tyson tattoo. And which is, by the way, been edited off for their uh, their beam down. You know, I I didn't even notice that. Yeah, it was not on his face. They they made a point to show you him in profile where it should be that it's not there. And yeah, it's just like in the candy corn tragedy. When they go down to that waste treatment plant <laughs> and planet, and it's all just humans. It's just humans. And that that is not noted by any character in this entire show, by the way. Nobody says a fucking word or or expresses like some kind of, oh, my God, it's humans. It must really have gone to the Alpha Quadrant. Like, it's not a plot point. They just this is just they're that lazy today. OK. And. They get down there and they start to have some some interactions with the locals and they seem very like old timey uh, shit that you would expect. And they're talking about these uh, sages that uh, are are religious figures. And eventually Tom and Chakotay figure out that the the temple that the, the sages in or the, where they want to go because the energy reading they're getting uh, for the replicator is inside there. And. What happens is they get told that they have to have ears before they can go in and have to make this weird deal with this street merchant for their shoes. Everybody's a street merchant, by the way. Like there is this is the planet of community theater. And everybody that they meet, I hate and want to throw off a mountain cliff. They're all trying to hustle Tom and Chakotay out of their shoes. They got some weird shoe fetish on this planet. Yes! Yes! Shoe fetish describes it exactly. The, Voyager loses three pairs of replicated shoes in this episode alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, if, the, if the ears weren't, you know, bait enough, what should happen is that the sa- great sages emerge from the temple to essentially have their audience with the people and it's two Ferengi, but specifically, it's two Ferengi that we've seen before. It's Eridor and Cole from uh, the episode The Price. Now, Peter, since you're the huge TNG fan, why don't we take this moment to talk about The Price? What happened in that episode? Uh, so you got Devani Rall, who is a sleeper Betazoid. He's part of the stable of psycho Betazoids. <laughs> Uh, males who are always up to no good and while he right. did not club anybody to death with a space pipe um he does represent a faction that is interested in purchasing uh land rights to what they believe to be the first stable wormhole uh and also at the table you've got uh Riker representing the federation and then these two um uh, Ferengi jabrones um and the whole group flies out to go conduct some readings and verify the claims that these wormhole is in fact stable. And you've got Data and uh, Jordy out in a shuttlecraft 
along with a Ferengi, and they're like, ooh, we don't like these readings. Uh, we think something's up with this. And Jordy and Data are like, hey, Ferengi Shuttlecraft, you should get the hell out of here because something doesn't seem right. And these two Ferengi dummies are like, uh, you know, fuck you, humans. We're not f- humans. We're not falling for your lie. And they're still in the wormhole in the Delta Quadrant when this wormhole collapses and they can't get back through because the mouth, I'm sorry, the butt, the butthole of this wormhole. <laughs> right. Uh, moves around from point to point over, you know, a span of light years. So there's no way to fly back through it. And that's where that episode leaves. He's got uh, two Ferengi are essentially lost in space. They yeah, and the- it's kind of like a ha-ha moment on the part of Picard of like, uh, telling their boss, like, the where's our dudes? And it's like, oh, you can go ahead and head to the Delta Quadrant. You might run into them in 80 years. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Picard, it's not so funny when it's your own people. <laughs> exactly. But it's this these guys. Uh, I I looked it up because I was curious. It's not the same actor that plays Cole, who's the stupid one. He never it actually talked in the next gen episode, I don't think. So it's like a, a an uncredited role, I believe. But the the guy who played Eridor, who was a bigger deal in the first episode, uh, definitely taught uh, is played by the same guy. How cool is it for that guy that you're a bit part in you know a one off episode almost ten years ago, and that you know Star Trek comes back around to your character who is essentially you know for all intents and purposes killed off, uh, and be like, hey, we want you to be the center point of a whole episode of Voyager. I mean, hey, take that paycheck. You know, unexpect, unexpected uh, call from your agent on that one. Hey, it's like I got good news and bad news. Bad news is you're going to spend eight hours getting makeup. <laughs> good news is you're going to get that sweet, sweet syndicated scale pay. Also, bad, uh, bad news is it's going to be a turkey episode. You skipped over an important part of the big reveal that the Ferengi are on this planet. And that is the hoe train that these Ferengis have uh, kept there's a literal i dream of genie harem of women who are like part of the southern california landscape these these are the obviously the biggest titties on this on this planet oh yeah uh they i i could not i i mean the way they framed the shot was so that you had to see it under boob under boob the, the one behind erador has this this distinct amount of underboob going like they got these girls in barely any clothes. Uh, they have had, uh, they either have the best boob jobs on the planet Define gravity. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's the best part of the episode. Hands down. <laughs> what did you say? Cause that's going to be our episode title under boob for days. <laughs> there you go. Ding winner. Yeah. I like it. These two Ferengi jabrones come out and the local yokels and real quick it it, should, for, it bears mentioning these frangi are nobodies they were like mouthpieces for the frangi uh you know higher ups these guys had no juice in the frangi trade union and uh they have basically gone from paupers to princes down here they they were in fact nobodies and from the jump as they interact with the people of this planet it's very clear that the people are real fucking tired of these guys. <laughs> like, which is going to, which is, I think, going to feed into some of the fun that the episode finally allows itself to have later on. But no one is happy with the situation. And 
these these two guys are just kind of being abusive dicks to everyone uh, using their replicator to convince these primitive people that they're gods and it's like the people are like yeah i guess you're gods but it doesn't mean i have to th- I have to like you you know and they have this one interaction with this like uh shoemaker or sandal maker uh where he's begs for for food because his family's sick and they just say well you should obviously just be working your family to death instead of asking you for for help and then giving him a copy of the rules of acquisition and then making him pay for it yeah uh, it's, I mean, it's it's an exploitation racket. Uh, you know, I didn't really get the feeling that the people hated them because it felt like there was a lot of buy into the the cutthroat capitalistic environment that the Ferengi have been attempting to instill into and, and override the community with. I don't know, man, the the, the zeal with which they embrace the Salem Wichita trial element at the end. We'll get to that, but. It's not even my problem with the racket. It's not like a clever racket. It's not like these guys created this this perverse capitalistic system to profit them in a way that was uh, clever or interesting or or had some depth to it. It's just we're dicks and we're going to just take your money and kind of kick you around. And then we're going to go fuck off back to our treasure vault and sit on our pile of gold like fucking Dragon. discount smaug <laughs> and and call it a day which is exactly the shit that you expect from 2d cardboard cutout crappy ferengi antagonists that we've been cursed with in star trek so here's here's a very critical piece of information that this episode spends strikingly little time doing Bolana and harry are able to identify that not only does the is this the Barzan wormhole that that shifts around and has a fixed point of ex- exit in the Alpha Quadrant, and there's therefore, if they can get it to appear here, a viable instant route home. But they also figure out the way to get it to appear. Like, it's just done in one scene. They're like, yeah, we're going to do this and we're going to get home. Done. Fucking done. Locked in. No problems, right? They've got it fucking clocked. Like, yep, we can attract the other end here. We're going to do some fucking technobabble space with magnets. And we're going to do how space magnets. How do they work? Mm-hmm. Whatever. We got it done. We're going home. That's it. Okay. Okay. The thing that has defined everyone on this planet, on this ship's whole state of being right to find a way home they found the fucking shortcut in the middle of the acid and delta quadrant accident just like they were hoping and it's going to be safe easy big bang boom got it figured out in the first 15 minutes no fucking problem right i want i want everyone listening to the sound of my voice to fucking remember that as we discuss the rest of this they've got it solved it's done no fucking problems no fucking uh complications whatsoever Okay. What happens? What happens next? What happens I, next? I'm not ready to let this go. <laughs> okay. You have an what you just described, which is Voyager can go home now. It's not even what we're going to call a B story. I would say in the episode of TV that we watched, the fucking plight of the sandal maker is a bigger deal in this episode <laughs> than Voyager's opportunity to go home. The A yes! story. Yes! Is two Ferengi fucking around on an inconsequential planet. 
the B story is a guy has been uh, encouraged to, you know, exploitation begins at home to enslave his family and his sick mother in his shoe shop. The C story, maybe even the D story. It's there. Who You don't need caretaker as your emergency escape hatch. Someone at Paramount said, you know what? We're going to lay the golden egg uh, on the table. And it is going to be completely fumbled. This episode was so bad. Through the rest of this, just keep this in mind. As far as I'm concerned, this is a long lost episode of fucking Gilligan's Island. The only thing missing in this episode is a guest appearance by the fucking Harlem Globetrotters. <laughs> I mean, this is classic so, Gilligan's Island. So the professor had yeah. fixed the chip and then the Frangi portraying the role of Gilligan by the end of this thing, uh, you know, have a ladder over their shoulder and turn around too fast and blow the ship up somehow. <laughs> so <laughs> the Chakotay and Tom go back to the ship and they explain the Ferengi have set themselves up with this bizarre third grade level protection racket on the planet. And we get the info dump from, from uh, Tuvok, Tuvok who's, lo- who's looked up like, okay, these are the two Jamokes that fucked up the Barzan wormhole shit seven years ago on Enterprise. And this is clearly where they got dumped out. And, uh, you know, that's that's what they've done. Excellent use of computer memory allocation for Voyage in this one. The callback to some BS nebula that Excelsior encountered 80 years prior. Who cares? This this is this is some good callback. This is also is another excellent episode of the Tuvok was right show. Yeah, Tuvok says direct to Janeway as they contemplate what to do. That like, hey, listen, we're bound by the prime directive, but the Ferengi are not, which is an interesting point. We've discussed this before about if other species in the galaxy are bound by the prime directive. Yes. Clearly, that's not the case. Yes. And furthermore, it would be against the prime directive to stop the Ferengi from exploiting these people. That's a one two punch of leave it the fuck alone. Eye on the prize. There is a door over there that is going to take the 130 some people out of this death trap Delta Quadrant of organ thieves and space hillbillies and soon to be the fucking goddamn Borg. And we can get home right now. And instead, we've got a little inconsequential planet where there's two Ferengi who are screwing around. Nobody's suffering on this planet. They got a crappy like economy now, whatever. And yeah, it'd be nice if the Ferengi weren't there, but... We are legally obligated by this oath we swore to leave this the fuck alone. And what does Janeway say to that? She jumps right back to uh, what was the last stupid episode with the the swarm. Where first she's like, fuck Starfleet. Now she's like, fuck the Federation. We're going to get involved, even though I'm explicitly not supposed to. Catherine Janeway of her high vaulted morals. What was that quote I read you last time about from Alliance? Is like, we need to stick to our Federation ideals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And here mm-hmm. she is saying, you know what? Screw that sea line, that sea story about getting home. Let's go play on uh, G- the Gilligan's Island down here and see what kind of trouble we can stir up. How can Tuvok ever if if Tuvok says one more fucking time in this entire series, I respect your opinion more than anything and anyone. And that's why I invite you into my secret mind meld cuddle times. I'm going to go through the TV and strangle Tuvok. 
<laughs> this is really the straw that breaks the Catherine Janeway back of of hypocrisy. I, I know we bring the bell a lot, but it's like you can't come, you can't step off the ledge with her. It's too far. Here, here's the thing. Yeah, Janeway goes through a little bit of tortured logic to explain that they're responsible for what happened and therefore they have an obligation to fix it. Okay, I will grant her that, except the next very next scene, because the very next scene is that after some pointless ass banter in their little treasure vault with one of their local slave or whatever, and they're arguing and being goofy ass, you know, cardboard cutout antagonists, Janeway just beams their asses up. I like, fuck it. Let's grab these two assholes and get the fuck out of here, right? Problem solved. Beams him up. And then you said last week the weakest shit was was Janeway's excuse for making a run for the county line. All right. This is I guarantee you this ends up being not just the weakest shit in, in, in this season, but the weakest shit on this entire show forever. Because what fucking happens, Peter? What happens? Captain Janeway gets fucking talked into sending these two assholes back to their little little fiefdom after one of them talks about how, oh gosh, if you just take us away, the civilization is going to collapse without us being the great sages and just goes on this weird little rant about how it would actually be worse for them to be plucked away, making no fucking logical sense whatsoever. And Janeway puts up no fight, no words, no debate, just lets this guy walk around on her fucking ship, talking around her in circles until she just meekly says, okay, send him back. Like, what the, what, what, what the fuck? What is the actual shit? These two just showed up and fucked it all up. Just pluck them away. Let the locals figure it out for themselves. You took the technology with you, which they established later. They took the shuttle. You know, like they could have just taken the tech the same way. They'll think it's all fucking God shit. Doesn't fucking matter. Let them figure it out for themselves. We're going home in six hours. And you're fucking coming with us. That's all they she had to fucking say. Like, fuck, you know, that's it. Fuck, you know, it's staying here. You know why? Because fuck, you know. But instead, she's like, oh, gosh, you got me, guys. We'll send you back to enslave these people. Chuck Shadarns. Oh, 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 golly gee willikers. I couldn't fucking believe it. She's already forsaken Federation ideals. She knows she's acting in the wrong. It, like this liar's argument is going to hold any water with her. You, you know, it's like there's some element in the writer's room that just secretly hates the shit out of Janeway and just sabotages her character. I can't even call this like stupid behavior. This is like next level mental illness. So they beam them back down and the Ferengi, I don't know, they reverse the polarity of their replicator or something. They're, they're able to create a, an interference field. So Voyager can no longer just, beam them out at their leisure and meanwhile they have a little quick confab where now they want to try and get the ferengi to leave of their own accord rather than be snatched because uh, they still want to try and solve the problem and janeway like delivers the worst line of all time we have to out ferengi no you don't you need to get your fucking crew home why is this such a big moral dilemma you touched on it earlier all of these 
first contact situations and things where you could really exploit or do some nasty shit or even little minor stuff. You know, the Federation is bound by these very serious rules, uh, temporal anomaly abuse, you know, to like go back in time with the almanac and, and profit and whatever. We've got all these good stories of Federation officers having these strict moral dilemmas. Romulans don't have that shit. The Klingons don't have that shit. The Ferengi don't have that shit. The inf- the galaxy is infinitely large. There are infinite planets with little enclaves of humans or whatever there that are being abused left and right in the Alpha Quadrant under the, the Klingons and the Romulans and everybody, the Cardassians. You're outside your jurisdiction. These guys, I mean, ultimately are inconse- not only are they inconsequential in light of the fact you could be getting your ship home in this unstable wormhole. It's also like illegal for you as a captain to get involved in this stuff. Why is nobody stepping forward? Like Janeway, leave this the fuck alone. Like get us home and and quit breaking Federation law or else it's going to be a mutiny time. And that's, that was really my big takeaway from this episode by the end is she's got to go. Like this is just so egregiously treasonous to her duties to this ship that to make this work, you have to make Janeway out to be the most incompetent commanding officer of all time. Like this version of Janeway couldn't command the swing shift at a Dunkin Donuts. This this Janeway has no command authority whatsoever. She is the captain of a Federation starship of cutting edge technology and prowess. She's an accomplished scientist and she can't problem solve just plucking these two low-ranking jabroni Frankie off the planet and then rationalizing, okay, we've taken all the offending technology and the offending people. The society will eventually revert back to form. There might be a little bit of chaos, but it's going to be better than being exploited by these two buttholes. Let's go. That's if she decides to get involved at all. Which she like, shouldn't. You know, you know. <laughs> It, this is a, this is a ramrod episode of we want to tell a silly story, but they set the stakes too high that it becomes unforgivable. Um, it does. They they beam these guys back down. We got to out Ferengi the Ferengi. I figured that they were just going to, you know, dilute their stranglehold on the economy by like, you know, putting, I don't know, disrupting the economy or giving them more replicators or or whatever. Uh, and instead, they come up with this cockamamie imposter scheme where they put Neelix in Ferengi makeup and he goes to the sacred temple that these Ferengi are chilling out in and says that he is uh, a messenger from the Grand Nagus. So Ethan Phillips has played a Ferengi before. Yeah, man. And so uh, he he pulls it down pretty, pretty easily. The affectations. He comes as the Grand Proxy as the the messenger of the Grand Nagus and throws the story at them that is fits in the Ferengi mold that essentially all of their, their shits being appropriated and uh, their, their holdings are going to be seized and they need to return to Ferengi. And are basically trying to give them to use the phrase you and I uh, once used with frequency uh, uh, in our previous hobby lives. Uh, I see cover, mm-hmm. you know, like it's an, I see cover story. It's an in-character cover story. And these two idiots buy the story and think that they're they're screwed because 
Voyagers made the the wormhole appear. Ferenginar now knows what they're up to, and because they're Jamokes, they're they're getting their their cards pulled, and somebody else is going to get this this sweet new setup. I thought this was a clever scene, and it would have, you know, the rationale of what's going on is all airtight. My problem comes down to the fact of why the fuck is this Neelix? Hey, space cat. We want you to impersonate this alien species you've never even seen before and we'll have like minimal prep time and you're going to go in there and try and con these guys uh, into believing, you know, their own bullshit. Like I could have taken Chakotay or any other Tom, Tom, an actual criminal and con artist. Absolutely. Anybody short of Tom, the only person I could think of better than Tom would have been Seska. And unfortunately, Jerry already killed her. You That'd be a great use. You oh, yeah. if think, think of a universe where Seska stayed on the cruise and Obsidian ordered spy. Oh, no, she's, she's gone there and no, slit their throats. <laughs> I won't. I won't, Joe. It's too painful. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, Janeway. Why are we even contemplating? Uh, here's our ticket home, Catherine. Why are we screwing around with these people we have no obligation or legal authority to deal with? Oh, the Frank, you're that much of a problem? Okay, you can't beam out? Sure, how about I just go in the back door and shoot both these guys in the head while they're sleeping? That's what Seska would do. How about I just burn their whole house down? It is. That would have been preferable way to end the episode. So they send uh, Neelix in, and he does a unrealistically great job of conning these guys with a very deep and rich knowledge of the uh, Ferengi culture and uh, hierarchy system. And he says, uh, look, you guys are going to be out of here. I'm going to give you 20 minutes to get your shit together. And then uh, you're coming with me. And in the meantime, I'm going to go pull a Robin Hood and take these bags of gold and redistribute wealth uh, to the poor people outside. And while he's gone, the two Ferengi put their heads together and say, well, this doesn't seem like a good uh, situation for us. Let's consult the rules of acquisition, what to do here. And ultimately, they find the unwritten rule. Uh which is make a rule up and they settle on the, you know, the messenger comes to claim your profits. You kill the messenger. They, they have the, a goofy fight scene after he, Neelix comes back in as the proxy where they have swords. And it, it is in the tradition of all Ferengi fight scenes being terrible. Uh, there's a whole DS9 episode dedicated to the fact that the Ferengi are terrible at fighting to the point that Nog is the most accomplished military personnel <laughs> that they have access to in, in, in a given act in a given episode. He's like a, an ensign. Uh, but he's like, you know, seen combat. So that, that makes him the most accomplished. And I know we're splitting hairs here, but you jump back to like season one, Ferengi, you know, like the, the fur yeah, with the pain whips. With yeah. The energy whips. Like those dudes were scary. Those were bad motherfuckers. They gave, you know, the enterprise away team, a run for the money. So, you know, there's been this, soft retcon of what the Frangi are and, and whatever, but you know, coming after this dude, they're going to kill him and they're going to come at him with like fantasy cutlery swords from that Asian place in the strip mall. <laughs> Neelix manages to fend both of them off for a while, but his cowardly space cat weighs, you know, pipe was in range. This is a man who murdered someone in engineering. Yes, Right. Yes, But, uh, without a pipe, you know, or a, a, portal to space hell to assist him he uh he gives up super fast against these ferengi with swords 
And not only and, do they not kill him, but also he spills the beans on everything. The jig is up. Yeah, he, he pops to the whole deception. He explains everything. And then they let him leave. And the Ferengi get to talk, uh, you know, have a little villain monologue moment where they've, they've won again. And then they laugh into the camera. It's terrible. It's the worst. It's the worst thing. Do they can can you replicate a phaser? Good question. I mean, I don't question. You know what? We're going to put that. We're going to we're going to let that one linger for our our Facebook group to solve. I I can see Jack now the fucking calculus going through his head as he answers this and he'll listen to this now. And now he's definitely going to answer that question. Uh, For those of you who are listeners uh, that that don't participate in our Facebook group, which you should, you're welcome to if you want to just click uh, request to join. I'll happily add you um, is that uh, we have a, a fan, Jack, who goes into incredible detail explaining different headcanon ideas that we have during the show and like finds like primary research. He he, uh, he gets into that mode with the show and it's it's breathtaking to behold. So, Jack, find out if you can replicate a phaser for us. I'm going to assume that Ferengi replicators cannot replicate phases, and that's why they're using Excalibur recreations. Uh, But yeah, for some reason, they don't just kill Neelix. And uh, Neelix slumps off back out to uh, Tom and uh, Chakotay, who did not... In any other time, they send someone another cover, too. Like, they've got their comm badge turned on so they could hear if things go right. How, How did Neelix lose this fight? How did someone who <laughs> he was winning accidentally at first, you know, throwing shit at him like he was just just like he does, like just find and find an improvised weapons. Yeah, the improvised weapon is the new Jack Neelix coat. He should have slapped both <laughs> those fools into the dirt. What? If, I mean, come on. If there was ever a time for him to be wearing that shit, like being a Ferengi that embodies the, the soul of new Jack Neelix in a way no other situation possibly could. He would have beat their asses and gotten them addicted to nuke like it was RoboCop 2. <laughs> He'd have been beat the fuck up smoking crack rock. Uh-huh. And he goes, uh, yeah, sorry, by the way, I'm a huge coward in case you weren't there for Jatrell, where I talked about being a military deserter. And maybe I was a really bad choice for this. Uh, but I fucked up, so we're going to have to go slink back with our tail between our legs to come up with yet another cockamamie scheme to interfere in this thing that we have no jurisdiction in. And also, too, while we're talking, let's look out the window for an elongated shot of the now stable wormhole that is a four minute drive away from us being home. OK, so let's let's wrap this up so that we can get to the most mind melting stupidest part of the episode, which we somehow still have not arrived at. Okay. Okay. Using this local bard who gets another pair of shoes out of Tom and Chakotay, they figure out that there's more to this like song that explains the sages and that there's this out that some Holy pilgrim will come and uh, take them away. And so they use Neelix who's currently still done up to look like a, a Ferengi and therefore would appear to be of the same race of the sages to the locals that he's that guy and get the people to believe this is what's happening to basically provide cover for why they would all disappear via, via transporter. 
Which That's seemed the like the basic research that Chakotay should have done right out of the gate. And it starts to work, except to the point where these guys, like I said at the beginning, are so fucking done with these two con artists <clears throat> that the moment they have an out within their philosophical beliefs to get rid of them, they've got these three tied up and are, are getting a fire ready to burn them to death because they're supposed to go riding on wings of fire. So they're, they don't stop to accept a different explanation. Everyone is super up with the let's set these guys on fire plan the moment they have a moral justification within their philosophical beliefs. And, you know, it's, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? This could go bad. All the, the Ferengi and Neelix are tied up. There's a fire starting. And Tom and Chakotay just go into the temple. No one stops them. No one even tries to interact with them. And they disable the 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 the, the force field that's been set up by the Ferengi. And sure enough, everyone gets beamed out. Everyone's back on Voyager. And everything appears to be fine. Okay? Okay. What happens next, Peter? What did you just say about the Ferengi's ability to fight and their laughable martial prowess? Golly gee willikers, it's like they're a race of kind of weird, limp-wristed cowards that are incapable of ever doing anything physical to anyone effectively. Like Neelix, who is the second biggest coward that we have encountered, uh, gave them a run for their money. Yeah, yeah, and two at once, and they were armed. And these are the same two Ferengi who just stood there slack-jawed while a bunch of dirty, unwashed peasants uh, wrapped them up with a bungee cable to burn them that to death? That is correct. Yeah, that literally just happened in the episode? Yes, yes, that 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 is who they are. So they beam back up to Voyager. Chakotay's like, that's it, you guys. You're going to secure quarters. Uh, yeah, it was yep. like, which secure quarters... Uh, for those of you listening at home, are the same things that they kept Lon Suter, the space murderer, in? <laughs> yes, that is correct. So it's a big fucking deal. And there's like yeah. two security guards. There's like a blonde dude and an Asian guy. And he's like, take these two jack-offs uh, and lock them up. Again, the, the wormhole is open. It's in front of them. It goes home. They're a three-foot putt away from the show being over, like back to the Alpha Quadrant. Okay, they're they're there. It's done. So then, the skipper, right, gets a radio call on his <laughs> coconut radio <laughs> right. from Mister right. Howell, right, and he tells him that Gilligan uh, has fallen off of his ladder and knocked a <laughs> hole in the side of the ship. So, so now this, the professor the, has to hurry up with his. <laughs> coconut tools to repair the hole before too much water gets in and the ship sinks and they have to get stuck on the island again so somehow this guy murphy has got to be the least valuable player of voyager ever because ensign murphy the security guard somehow some way gets given a concussion by two unarmed Ferengi while he is a phaser <laughs> And these two Ferengi manage to get to the shuttle bay where where Tuvok has told them their shuttle has been beamed to, by the way. Like, so they know it's there because Tuvok 
not only has incompetent security personnel, but broke his OPSEC to tell him where their shit was. And these guys managed to get all the way to the shuttle bay, access their shuttle, and fly the fuck out of the ship, running all kinds of hot game all over Tuvok, all by their lonesome, right? They, They get on the shuttle, and they go back to the planet, okay? Mind you, Voyager can still go home. They're not trying to go for the wormhole. They're just going for the planet. Voyager could have just shot him with a phaser or a photon torpedo and been like, you know what? Fuck you guys. We are already breaking Federation rules. I'm already in trouble. We gave you an out. We're not going to let you do this anymore. Kill him. But no, they won't even do that. They they won't even just be like, we tried. Fuck it. Hey, you it's know not what? Worth it. The people on the planet tried to burn them once. If they want to go back down there and get like drawn and quartered or put on a torture rack, that's up to them. Right, like, your shit's all been seized, you don't actually have any power, so they go back there and get their fucking shit pushed in, it's their problem now. Like, and no, they they keep running through all the shit that they want to do to try and capture him, and eventually, Gilligan gets his ladder, and they do some fucking technobabble, and they try some trick with a graviton burst to shake Voyager. And wouldn't you fucking know it? That happens to be the magic piece of technobabble that destabilizes both ends of the wormhole, and now it's useless. And of course, you know, whatever, the, 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 the Fringy gets sucked into the wormhole and they wind up in some other place in the galaxy. But the point is, in this tiny shuttlecraft, this tiny Ferengi shuttlecraft, that's like two orbs <laughs> in the middle of a, uh, a, a Holiday Inn Express conference room, accidentally fuck up their, their three-foot putt home because they couldn't well leave them well enough alone and when they decided to grab them, they didn't just keep them. And when they did just finally grab them, their fucking security guards got taken taken down by unarmed Ferengi. They made it to the shuttle bay and managed to abscond with the shuttle out of the ship beyond all the security precautions to do so without anyone fucking stopping them. And then did the one fucking thing that they could do to fuck up the wormhole because Voyager kept trying to pursue them. You know what? Voyager deserves to be in the Delta Quadrant. They fucking deserve to have to go through Borg space. They deserve every bad thing that's about to happen to them because these two nobody fucking Ferengi managed to outsmart the whole fucking ship for 44 minutes. Like Seska pulling this kind of shit? Sure. All this did was like further degrade the legacy of Seska that like everything she did was not special. And that complete fucking buffoons are capable of running this kind of a game um, on Voyager. It's just it's infuriating. Like, you know, the shuttlecraft's flying away. They're trying to lock onto them to beam them out. And faster than Harry can, like, modulate a frequency to beam these guys out of there. uh, This dummy who's been living in the sticks for the past 10 years, 15 years pull some shit out of his uh his crash landed shuttle which shouldn't even be you know like space worthy this thing crash landed how how is it even flying how does any of the technology on this thing work uh yeah he lets off like a tachyon burst or something and that's to thwart the transporter signal and that's what destroys the anchor holding this um holding this uh wormhole together and i can't, I can't take it they you know they do a a pan around the bridge as they watch the wormhole go away I thought it would have been cool if like their ship would have blown up on the way through the wormhole to show that like 
hey, something's really wrong with the wormhole at this point. You don't want any part of this. Like, rather than just hang around and try and re-anchor this thing again like they already did once, it's the same shit as, like, saving all the people on the Talaxian moon. Like, they can't solve the problem again in 20 seconds, so Janeway just gives up and tells Tom to lay in a course for the Alpha Quadrant, warp six. They show a couple disappointed frowns around the ship, and off they go. And instead, it should have been everybody on that bridge flipping fucking tables over and screaming at Janeway with spit flying out of their mouth as the ship descends into a very well-justified mutiny. <laughs> yes! God damn, everyone on that ship would be absolutely justified in mutiny now. The Maquis like, watch their friends and family die at the hands of lung thieves and, and Kazon and all that other stuff. And the guy who, you know, anybody who was friends with a bowl haircut that got eaten by a space worm or friends with um, Hogan because Janeway and Chakotay wanted to land, you know, go after Chakotay's fake baby. Like, how many times are you going to give Janeway a hall pass on completely fucking people over? I don't know, man. God, oh, God, this was so glorious. Like, what what a giant, giant, giant piece of shit. Just this episode might as well have been an SNL sketch. You can't really, take Voyager whew. serious moving forward after shit like this. Like, it's just the stakes were too high. If this if, if the big if instead of a wormhole home, you know, the treasure chest that gets yanked away last minute had been like. Uh, I don't know, um, a dump truck, a Ford, a classic Ford truck full of uh, Folgers crystal coffee. OK, sure, that was a fun episode, but it's like. You can't ignore the victory condition of going home to screw around with these ninja, <laughs> these ninja Ferengis who just kicked the shit out of your security officer and and flew away. I don't know. The fact that they gave this episode a the the probably the most clear way home that they've had since they did uh, the I guess the last episode with the wormhole where they. Uh, you know, had their whole encounter with the Romulan scientist and and everything like that. Like the fact that they they decided to bust that out for this episode and then have it all fucked up by two incompetent low level goons that showed no real competence whatsoever in actually being good antagonists and just it required the heroes to be unnaturally stupid to work. Yeah, it's just oh god, it really. It really was a baffling rewatch and everything I hoped it would be. It's just a perfect example of why this, sh this show deserves the takedowns that we give it. Because, man, I'll tell you, last couple of weeks, you know, we had two two really good Star Trek episodes. You know, it, it almost almost made you forget. Almost made you forget for a second what we're watching. And then just just like that, Voyager slides in. Uh, I got a steamy hot turd to take on your chest. I was Get so excited ready. for this, man. What I what point did the episode really lose you? Was it when they she had him up beamed up the first time and then yeah, let him go? Absolutely. When when they beam him straight out and the explanation that that uh that Arador gives that somehow immediately convinces Janeway without resistance that they just need to be beamed back down. What the what the actual shit? Like seriously, you're just gonna buy that? You have all the power in the situation? 
there's plenty of explanations for why that explanation is bullshit. Like that the society isn't going to collapse without them and that you have a duty to just like, listen, I can't guide them through what's going to happen next. All I can do is remove the offending issue. So I've taken you and your technology off the planet. Hopefully they revert back into a better state and come up with an explanation for why you're gone. But you know, damage is done and I can't fix it. So I'm going to take away, I'm going to, I'm going to take away the, the, the arrow in the wound Put a Band-Aid on it and hope for the best. I'm trying to think of a way to have made this episode good. And I just, I can't This do version it. of the episode, no. I think you could have had these two characters in the Alpha, in the Delta Quadrant. Like, like maybe they flourished and they're, they're created this like cartel with a bunch of the, the local yokel races. You know, like the K, like low, some of the local Kazon and shit like that. Into like this, this, uh sort of like commercial marauding empire. Yeah. That could have been interesting. Like, and they had to deal with that. And they're really just using these people to try and find a way to harness the wormhole. And so they're in this competition with them for it. And eventually they find it, but you know, they learn the hard way that, you know, it's not as stable as they need it to be to return home or something like that. Like you could have used pieces of this to make it work, but it's just, you need an entirely different concept and an entirely different execution. I think the more moral- unsalvageable as it is, which is why, I loved watching it. The dilemma they needed, I think, would have been they needed, you know, extended sensor data or sensor data that's already passed that the Ferengi have. And the Ferengi say, we will give you the key to getting home. But in return, we want more replicator energy or something that's going to help us further undermine the city's, the civilization's progress. So you can either completely fuck the natives over and go home or let our stranglehold on these things collapse, but be stuck here. And, and, you know, good Starfleet captain would have said, I can't hurt these people further. And we'll just pass on this opportunity. I think that would have been the right conflict or, you know, get some stronger Ferengi actors and have the Ferengi be reoccurring characters who pop up here and there, or maybe even, you know, come on the crew for a little bit for some nice uh, competition with Neelix uh, for being a filthy space merchant. But this was not the right way to go. It was not. It was not. Well, I guess I am recommending watching this episode under the auspices of kicking it in the balls and really like understanding how terrible it is. But it's it's rancid. And if you're looking for a good time, this was not it. Um, what do we got next? We're going to go with season three, episode six. Remember, and I got uh, two little girls with uh, what appear to be. <laughs> prison tattoo eye drops on their temples, so they must have killed people. Uh, <laughs> Lieutenant Torres starts having vivid dreams about another life, another love, and another planet. Yeah, I, I have only a vague memory of this, so this will actually be fun to watch. I know it's obviously a Bolana episode. I know it's... Uh, Bolana's episodes tend to have a lot of, like, out-of-body experience shit for some reason. Yeah, that or, uh, you know, homicidal robots of some sort. I don't know which is worse, honestly. <laughs> We'll see. I I can't say this one's going to be bad or if it's going to be good, but I guess signs point to not good, but we'll see. Joe, this All right, man, do, do you have a rule of I'm, acquisition? I'm for not, this? No, I'm not going anywhere near the fucking rules of acquisition. This thing pissed me off so bad. I'm not going to do it the justice of giving the only remaining Ferengi episode a Ferengi send off on here. Well, you know what? That's fitting. And thank you for listening to Vija, please. I hope that Peter's frustration and my angry delight has been entertaining to you. 
And uh, as, as always, we thank uh, Ian and Sarah, our wonderful yeah, Lovebird fans, for the theme song you're hearing right now. Till next time, peace. <laughs>